And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who, who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Please be seated. So this passage opens almost in sort of a, you know, you could almost skip it by. It's, um, I remember uh, as a kid, the, I don't know, those of you who are kind of closer to my age, remember that most of the things you saw were pretty much on three channels, Maybe there was also a Channel 11 where you could, well, PBS, who cares about PBS when you were a kid because they didn't have good cartoons. Sesame Street was okay. But um, they, that Jesus of Nazareth came on uh, the, uh, the TV for like, it was a miniseries. It was over multiple nights. And I remember kind of like almost kind of waiting for the miracles because that was kind of the cool stuff, right? It was like the, that stuff was like, okay, talk, he's talking, he's talking, he's talking, like uh, history's happening. Oh, he's healing somebody. And then you can kind of like almost pass by these seeming pedestrian things like, oh, and he was circumcised. And, and oh, they went up to the temple for, um, the, for the time of purification. But this is important. In fact, the number of times in this passage that it says, according to the law, his parents were obeying God's word. They were faithful parents. They were actually raising Jesus in the fear and admonition of the Lord. Jesus was a, a human child who had to learn things. He, had, he learned things from his parents, and one of the things he learned was their faithfulness that on the eighth day that he, they went up to the temple, and this was part of the right to, for him to be circumcised according to the law of Moses. And so he was circumcised, and it was at that point that he was given his name, Jesus, which means God saves, or Yeshua means God saved. And so he is given that name, and then, and then, you know, time kind of compresses, you know, you don't hear about the amount of time that passes, but it was about four, about 31, uh, at the 31 day mark, they would have probably hung around, Bethlehem was in walking distance of Jerusalem, so maybe four or five miles, which seems like not walking distance for for some, some here who aren't used to walking that far, but back then that's how people got around was they could, he, they could walk to Bethlehem. So since the time of purification was near, they wouldn't have probably gone all the way back. They, hey, we've got to stick around here to take care of these things. And so they presented him at the time of purification. And, and these things kind of came together to where um, the woman who was ceremonial, ceremonially unclean for her um, after giving birth was then there was a, a sacrifice, a purification sacrifice for her, and, um, and, 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 and also there was a dedication of the child and uh, in going back into the law where the first, the, the, the male belonged to the Lord. He was consecrated to the Lord. And so Jesus is not only consecrated, but then they offer a sacrifice for, um, for Mary for her ritual impurity. And in this case, it's mentioned that a pair of turtle doves is a sacrifice, but the law doesn't actually prescribe turtle doves. The, the turtle doves are given as sort of concession for those who were designated poverty. Um, if, you, if you could afford it, the normal um, 
sacrifice would have been a lamb, but it was too expensive for them, and so it's an indication that Jesus grew up with parents who were poor, and and who knows if that was his entire lot, but at least at this point, um, remember, uh, Joseph and Mary had to kind of pick up, according to the census of Caesar Augustus, to go down to Bethlehem to register, and so they're out of kind of like their normal area, so they're definitely, it's a hardship for them, but it just goes to show that our, our Savior did not come into a life of means. And, and I was thinking about that. I was, I was thinking like, like, like all of these people who have lived impoverished lives or, or, or even Christ himself, there's never an indication in there like, oh, in his life wasn't as good as it could have been if he hadn't had poor parents. It just goes to show how often that... Um, Though we pity the poor and we, we want to help the poor, it's not as if the, his, his material lack um, was ultimately of his, to his spiritual detriment. And so we see that, and it's important to remember that our, our Savior came uh, as an impoverished person for all people. And then the, um, the text continues in verse uh, 25 uh, through 35. He says, now, they're, and this is happening while they're um, performing the sacrifice and Christ is brought into the temple. He says, now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the, the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have uh, prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said, uh, said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed to the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that, that is opposed. And a sword will pierce, your, pierce you through your own soul also, so that, your thoughts, so that, that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed." So now they're just doing their thing, right? And um, suddenly this old man, Simeon, it doesn't say exactly he's an old man, but um, many people believe that reading between the lines, he's an old man because if he was really young, he wouldn't be like saying, now finally I can depart in peace. Uh, Simeon was a devout and righteous man who had the Holy Spirit. It's an actual, uh, you know, that we think, well, the Holy Spirit only came after Christ came. But no, the Holy Spirit is evident through the scriptures and very few people had that um, blessing as, as we all have now in terms of those who are in Christ. We all have uh, the, uh, the indwelling, the Spirit as, as part of being Christian. But it's, it's remarkable here that people are, that Simeon is mentioned as being filled with the Spirit. And specifically, he w- it was revealed to them he would not see death until he had seen um, the Lord's anointed. And so, in one sense, it's a, it's a blessing for him to have that revelation that that's going to be the case. But in another way, it's an, 
it's, it's kind of a, an anticipation, a hope that he has to kind of wait for. And he's, he's been in the temple. It's not revealed as to when he's going to be. And so he's regularly in the temple. And, um, and you can kind of think about people maybe in, in ancient times doing tours of the temple and going, and then suddenly it's like, we're walking, we're walking, we're walking. Right over here is the court of the Gentiles. Those people are like, you know, Gentiles, so let's stay away from them. Okay, we're walking, we're walking. Here's the court of the women and the children so that they won't make too much noise and disturb the men worshiping. Just kidding. But, and then we're walking, we're walking. Oh, here's Simeon. He's waiting for, he's, he's been told that he's going to see the Lord's anointed. So everybody say, hi, Simeon. Hi, Simeon. You know, it's like, he thinks he's going to see the Lord's anointed. You know, so he's, he's like waiting to see the Lord's anointed, and then finally it's come. You know, tradition has it that he was like, you know, over 100 years old. And who knows exactly how long, but think about like a long life of waiting for this thing, not knowing when the expectation is going to be. And so he comes, and he finally sees him, and he takes the Savior, his Savior, in his arms, and he's just so overwhelmed with joy. And um, uh, one of the terms that the Latin for this is actually nunc, nunc dimittis, dimittis. Uh, now, now let your servant depart. Uh, it's actually now let your servant, you know, let, pull up the tent peg, so to speak. I'm going to regular, I'm ready to kind of put my tent up. I'm ready to kind of go home is basically what he said. And in and actually, in the Anglican tradition, back as far as the Reformation, um, most of the, uh, the, the benediction included nunc dimittis, let us depart in peace, so to speak. It was a, it was a, a way to end the uh, kind of the Anglican uh, church's liturgy. I don't know if that's still part of it, but I, I found that interesting that that kind of came into the English Reformation. But here he, he basically says, I'm ready to depart in peace, and he he provides a, um, a, a prophecy for him. He said, Lord, now let, letting your servant depart in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for a revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And here he is prophesying of the Christ who would be not only come to his people, which was sort of the expectation of probably all of Israel, but also to the Gentiles as well, to the spread of the nations. A light, not just in terms of like, oh, here's some interesting information, light as in knowledge, but light as in delivery from the darkness and gloom that we've been talking about, that Christ had come. And so here this old man is just, is just glorifying God that he's finally come. And then he, he, and then meanwhile, while he's saying this, Joseph and Mary are marveling. I, I've got to think, I, I've, I've got to think that Joseph and Mary probably had a lot of times when they were marveling or troubled at things that would come because you've got to think, I was actually thinking about it last night, that you've got this revelation that you're bearing, um, the Christ, the Messiah, everything that had been anticipated. Uh, Mary, when she's giving her uh, Magnificat or, or my soul magnifies the Lord, she, she goes back all the way 2,000 years to an anticipation of the fulfillment of what Abraham had been promised. And here she is um, probably thinking, both of them, the, the tremendous privilege as well as like, we need to make sure we do this right. I, you guys... 
those of us who are parents, do you ever feel like this burden that I want to raise my kids up well? Like, I want to do a good job, right? I don't want to mess my kids up. Nobody feels that way, like, when they have kids. Like, I think I'm just going to kind of be lazy about this. Hopefully they turn out well. If they don't, then whatever. Um, But most parents are, like, really concerned about how their kids turn out. But imagine if it had been revealed to you that you were raising, like, the Messiah, like that probably is like an intense amount of like seriousness about, well, we probably need to take this pretty seriously because this is the Messiah, the one that's been um, prophesied for all time. And here comes, you know, they, they've already had revelations. Angels have both visited them and that's probably amazing. And now you see one of the first things you've got Simeon coming and he's prophesying to them and they're just marveling at what he's saying about him. And then Simeon turns to Mary and reminds uh, a couple things to him that he's going to be, he's going to be, um, let's, let me read it to it. It says, behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for uh, a sign that is opposed. And so the first thing that it talks about is that Christ is going to lead to many falling uh, powers and principalities will be fa- fallen by him, but then also the rising of others, the downcast, the lowly, those who are um, not not um, mighty in their own eyes, that Christ will bring them up. And also, but he's also a divisive person. Christ is not somebody who comes to, um, you know, kind of like uh, the hippie Jesus who's like, hey man, it's okay, whatever you do, I love you, whatever. Um, Jesus is a divider. He provide. He he not only. Um, he not only insults the self-righteousness of, of the religious who would think that, they've, that they're fine without him um, and, or that they don't need his righteousness because they're obedient or forget that, but he's also, he's also a, divisor, a divider to those who, um, who think that there's many ways, that there's no, um, there's no difference between religions or you don't need religion at all. Christ's message is divisive. It doesn't it doesn't necessarily fit anybody's mold in terms of if you're going to try to um, navigate this life apart from Christ, it's going to present a stumbling block or some sort of offense to people ultimately. And so Christ is not, um, not, not his, his ministry isn't intended to, uh, <clears throat> to be divisive, but the impact of those who would remain in their sins and trespasses, it's going to be a dividing line between those who are, um, who, who desire to remain dead in their sins and trespasses and opposed to the gospel of grace, and those who receive um, the grace of God to be able to receive that. And so he is divisive, and from the moment of his ministry, he is received by many, and, and many rise because of him, others fall, and he is a dividing figure for those who will not receive him. And so we see that and we need to be reminded of that, that, that the, the, the following of Christ is the most glorious thing that you can imagine in terms of what life it brings and what it brings to us. But it all is also a costly thing because it often divides us from the things that we would want to cling to. Not everything that we want to hold on to is, is bad per se. Not every relationship that is, is made difficult by it is necessarily a bad relationship, but it does cause friction. And I think we need to be reminded of that, that following him is both worth, worth it, but costly as well. And then he reminds Mary 
or he prophesies to Mary that a sword is going to pierce her heart, um, foreshadowing to the, the price that Christ is going to pay for our redemption. And I think this is probably an important part, a reminder to her. Um, remember, not everything is unfurled, right? We sometimes think as if Joseph and Mary are given Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They're like, oh, yeah, I'm ready for that because it says that already. We, we remember these, are, these are, are flesh and blood people living through history as it happens, not as it's already been written. And so Mary, it appears even in the way that uh, certain gospel accounts unfold, had the same kind of expectations of the Messiah. And, and there were probably the last thing on her mind when she was told that, the, that her, she was going to be bearing the Messiah is like, oh, that means he's going to be crucified. That's not what she would have expected, but, but Simeon is preparing her for this so that later on when it does happen, she's, um, she's kind of prophetically prepared for this. So that after Simeon, we, we, um, we see an old, another old person come up. I mean, I don't, and it's not a bad thing that they're old. I'm just pointing out. But, um, and then in verse 36, it says, And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of uh, Phanuel of the tribe of Asher, she was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin. And then as a, uh, a widow until she was 84, she did not depart from the temple, worshiping um, with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very, mo- very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were, uh, who, who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. And so now we see Anna come up after, after Simeon. Maybe she's seen um, Simeon. She happens to overhear that. She was a godly woman. Uh, it says here um, in, your, in your text, in the translation that it has, that she was 84 years old. Now, it's not exactly clear from the Greek that she was 84. It's written in a way where there's some debate. It's, it's clear that she had lived with her husband for only seven years, and then she was a widow. But it's not clear if she was a widow for 84 years after that, from the time she was a widow, or if she was married for seven years and then she's been a widow since. So you guys following what I'm trying to say? Women at that point were married at as around 14 years old. I know that sounds shocking, but I was actually thinking about that today, that you would have to be pretty—you didn't have time for a lot of frivolous stuff back in those days. I'm I'm not saying that everything's frivolous in childhood, but we do kind of like don't have to worry about a lot of things. And there was a seriousness because you probably didn't live much past your 30s, so you got started pretty— pretty um, early in life, and 14 was, the ch- uh, was when women could start bearing ch- children, and that's when they started um, marrying and having children. And so she could have been as early as 14, lived for seven years, widow since age 21. It's possible she could be 105 years old, or she might be 84. The point is she's old, but the point, they, they make a, a big deal that she was advanced in years, and she had been a widow for a very long time and also devote to the, devoted to the Lord to the point that it says that she never departed from the temple. Now, obviously, she departed from the temple occasionally. She probably didn't live there, but it's kind of an expression like, 
um, I'm always at the church or I'm always somewhere. There's, there are certain expressions that we're accustomed to, but the point is that she was so given to fasting and prayer, um, not as some sort of external, um, you know, just for a religious thing, but that she really loved the Lord and she, she was devoted to his service and had spent uh, a considerable part of her life either um, 84 years or still impressive 63 years to be um, to be doing that and it just goes to show um, you know how long we can wait for certain hopes certain expectations so here she is as well um, advanced in years and she sees the Lord's Christ and she's overjoyed at the reception she takes the baby in her arms and and um, and she praises God for um, the fact that the redemption of Israel, the redemption of Jerusalem, is in her very arms, and she then proclaims to everybody around her what um, what she has seen and heard, and she is just overjoyed at these things. And then finally, in um, in Luke chapter twenty-two, verses thirty, verse thirty-nine, it says, "And when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee." to their own town of Nazareth. So that, again, sounds very pedestrian, but now they've got to go live their life. They've got to go raise their son. And so, you know, one of the things that I was reflecting upon as I was preparing this, um, trying to be relatively brief on a day after people have probably stayed up a little later than they ought to. I'm not really a night person, so it's like my kids are always like, hey, it's a tradition to stay up till midnight. It's like, it's not a tradition for me. I like to go to bed early. You guys stay up late and then blow horns at midnight and wake me up or whatever. Thanks, guys. But, um, but uh, yeah, I, I'm just not a big deal. It's not a big deal for me. I, I think that, you know, honestly, it's kind of cool to see the odometer turnover, so to speak. You know, it's a new year and that sort of thing, a new year to start a Bible reading plan, which I did today, and I hope you guys are thinking about doing that as well. But um, I've also never been much of a, um, what do you call it? a New Year's resolution kind of guy, because most of my resolutions are pretty much the same all the time, especially right after I've eaten a big meal. I'm like, resolve, I shouldn't do that anymore, you know? Um, like, well, not like, like eat as much licorice as I did last night. Like, I shouldn't do that anymore, but I, then I do it again. But um, the, the point is, is that we can get into this idea that things are just kind of going around in a circle, that things are kind of... Uh, are kind of like just continuing as they always have. Things uh, are sort of like um, are, are in a cycle where they just repeat themselves. But everything's advancing. Things take endurance in life. And so we, we need to be reminded that our, our horizons are not just like, okay, the years began, so what do I want to do for the coming year? Simeon and Anna are examples of those who had long, long expectations, like far in a way, like I'm, I'm, I'm looking for the consolation of Israel, and they had to wait decades for it. They had to go through um, mourning, they had to go through suffering, they had to go through the tribulations of things. Mary and Joseph would have to go through the years of, of their, um, their struggles as impoverished people or the, the, the ups and downs of life. And things happen in ways that we have to continue to press on. We have to continue to press forward. And we need to be reminded that it's okay to have these kind of short-term, 
short-term goals, these things that we want to accomplish that we haven't accomplished in the new year, but the kind of hope that we're looking forward to that Christ has provided, the kind of hope that both Simeon and Anna had, they're looking out. They're looking backwards at at thousands of years of God's promise, but then they're looking out at what God's going to accomplish through their own lives, which might seem, um, may have seemed insignificant to them. They may have wondered if any, if, if God had forgotten them. They may have thought, like, um, does anybody notice the things that they're doing? And they just got up every day and continued to press forward with, with the hope and the expectation that God was true to his promises. And so it is with us that we, we can kind of grow distracted with the things that are around us. We can, you know, grow distracted with the idea that we have to stay up late on December 31st because, you know, it's December 31st and the thing's about to change. And then come to worship or not come to worship because we're tired from a night before and we think, well, it's just another day of worship. But it is, it's a day that we are called in front of a holy God that has redeemed us from sin and death. And we, we can sometimes grow so accustomed to the regularity that we're here every week that we lose sight of the glory that it is that he's done this or the glory that he's going to accomplish as we um, are going to receive the full inheritance of, of what Christ has not only accomplished but then has promised that we will fully receive when he comes again. And I think that's important as well because we, we, I think we have an, uh, an increased sense of the difficulty of continuing to press forward where if we didn't have that hope and expectation, then the loss that we've received in this congregation, especially the loss that the Bailey family is experiencing, would be, would be pretty much unbearable if they didn't have that hope of expectation. And it's going to continue to provide, it's going to be continue for, for, for them and for others as well in the congregation, the need that we continue to remind ourselves that it's worth continuing to press forward, that it's worth continuing to have hope. And we look to these people as, um, as, as models of those who not necessarily of the way that they live their lives and say, I want to be like Anna or Simeon per se, but the fact that their hope was vindicated and God, God throughout the scriptures is always showing us that every single person that places their trust in God is never disappointed. They're never disappointed in the, in the fruit or the, the reward that God provides those who continue just to do the very um, basic things of getting every day, up every day and reminding themselves that God is a faithful God and today I will serve him even though it's a difficult day and even though um, I don't necessarily see or I can't necessarily feel in my heart that these things are true, but I will continue to press forward today, even, even with the doubts and the difficulties I have, waiting for the refreshment that's going to be provided, but also to have um, a, a, an anxious expectation that God will be true to all those things, so that even in our own lives, we may wait long as Anna and Simeon did, but, the, but it, won't be, it won't be Christ in our arms that we're going to be embracing. But when we see Christ again, it will be 
It will be either with our glory, uh, either in heaven before he comes, or we will see him come for the consummation of all things, and we will receive an even greater blessing than when um, Anna and Simeon saw Christ, because it'll be the fullness of the uh, the glory and everything that he came for to put to death all the things that cause sorrow on this earth. And so let's thank um, God, even as we start a new year together, to continue to press forward towards that glorious end that we all expect because of Christ. Let's pray. Our Father and God, we thank you for this um, reminder of your faithfulness to us, and we pray that you would continue to um, ha- help us to have confidence in your word, confidence in the things that you have accomplished and will continue to accomplish according to your um, great love for us. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.